We're talking about pivotal circumstances that completely change our lives and that God uses to build our faith. And as I was listening to that song this week, uh, I was thinking about that line, the jig is up. And uh, there's a lot of connectors that have had that experience when the jig is finally up and, uh, and you've had this life-altering experience in which God worked in your life. I was thinking specifically of Bill Conkler, and I know there's lots of others here at Connect, but Bill's story is such an inspiring story because there was a day that came when the jig was up and he went to prison and he found Jesus in prison. Actually, Jesus found him there, I think. And, uh, and his life radically altered. That's what we're going to be talking about today. If you're joining with us today for the first time or if you've been away for a while, uh, this is the last message in this message series called Five Things That God Uses to Build Your Faith. And uh, we're talking about all these kinds of things that people have experienced. You're not going to find this list in the Bible anywhere, but we, we've just observed these things in the lives of Christian people that help us to grow in our faith. And so over the last six weeks, I've talked about things like practical teaching uh, and how important it is for you to be exposed to Bible teaching that is application-oriented. I've talked about providential relationships, and Cameron was talking about that, and our need to put ourselves in an environment in which God can bring people to us that will change our lives. We've talked about private disciplines, and that's a great one because it's something we can do to help build our faith. Last week, I talked about personal ministry, and today I'll be talking about pivotal circumstances. And here's the deal. People who have walked with Christ for any length of time uh, will tell you that their stories of faith revolve around this list. Those of us that have been Christians for a long period of time will tell you all five of these things at some time in our lives have helped our faith grow significantly. And uh, pivotal circumstances in particular is one of those things that I think most of us that have been Christians for a long period of time will say, we will say, God has fundamentally changed us because of some circumstance in in our lives. Uh, And and many of you would talk about things like you had a child, all right? Uh, I I talked to a dad just this last week who shared with me, you know, when I became a dad, all of a sudden I realized my life isn't just just in existence for me to spend it on my own pleasure and entertainment. All of a sudden, I'm responsible for this other little human being, and I realize I have to change some things. That's what I'm talking about, these kinds of pivotal experiences. Or maybe you landed your dream job, and all of a sudden, life changed, and God helped it, helped you to grow your faith. Or many of us would say that when we got married, that was one of those experiences that God used to change us radically. That would be one of the things in my life. When Chris and I got married, I'll tell you, everything changed. And my faith has grown so much through the experience of of marriage. I'll tell you one thing. uh, One of the things that changed me was when I was newly married and I came across a book called Sacred Marriage. The subtitle to that book is this. What if God intends marriage to make you holy instead of happy? Whoa, that's kind of scary, right? Okay, I could, I could talk about that all day. We'll keep going. Uh, but there's lots of times that God uses really wonderful, positive experiences to build our faith for, in, in one way or another. But on the flip side, many of us would say that as we look back over our lives, we have seen that God has used 
negative experiences to build our faith as well. Uh, Some of you have experienced the ravages of war, and you know how that has fundamentally changed you. Uh, Many of us in this room have lost people that we love deeply, parents who have lost children, Um, things that you just don't think should happen to anybody in this lifetime. And as you look back on your life, you can see that God is working to build your faith in that experience. Some of you have had debilitating accidents, or if you've had a spouse that has had a debilitating accident, or you have lost a spouse that you loved deeply, and, and it changes you. And when you listen to Christians tell these stories, you will hear how they emerged from these experiences with rock-solid faith. A lot of times you will hear Christians say, God seemed so far away, but I, I found out after struggling through, I found out that he was with me the whole time he was right there. C.S. Lewis says this, and I I love this quote from this great author. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I don't know if you've experienced that, but I have in my life when the pain has gotten so intense, that's when God finally gets my attention. Now, you might be a skeptic, you might be one of these people that you're not really sure what you think about God or Jesus or Christianity, and you might think that even when we talk about a topic like this, that as a preacher, I'm just trying to help God out, That, that I'm just trying to come up with some excuse for why there's pain and suffering in this world. And I get that, I really, really do. But there is something that we're gonna see in scripture today that we need to know, whether you're a Christian or not, I hope that you'll really open your mind to this possibility, and it's this. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write this down. There is an undeniable relationship between these big, pivotal circumstances in our lives and our faith. It's a relationship that God himself leverages. In other words, when you have these big events in your lives, God wants to come in and leverage that so that your faith in him will grow big. That's God's agenda in your life. James, the brother of John, wrote this in his epistle in the New Testament. He said, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Does that sound odd to anybody else? Okay. Now, John knew plenty of suffering in his lifetime. His brother had been crucified, okay? He goes on to say this, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Those are beautiful words. It's really hard to live out. But God wants your faith to grow, and sometimes it takes trouble and testing and hardship for that to happen in your life. Now, if you've got your Bibles with you today, uh, or if you use an electronic device, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 11. We're going to camp out there for a little while today. And uh, 
This is going to be a familiar story to many people. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, if you've ever read through the New Testament, this is a story that you will know. And, uh, and I want to encourage you this morning to just slow your brain down. We're going to read this story. We're going to read it slowly. And I want to invite you today to really listen to what's happening in this story. Feel what the characters in this story feel. And what we're going to see in this story is that uh, Jesus doesn't just leverage a negative circumstance in this story. We're going to see Jesus shockingly create a negative circumstance so some people can grow their faith huge. And what we're going to see is that Jesus is going to drop a new category into your theology. For many of you, you have thought about pain and suffering and and hardship in one particular way your whole life. And today, what I hope happens is that Jesus will just drop a new category of theology into your life. So I hope you'll open up your mind, slow everything down, and just immerse yourself in this story. Are you right? Are you ready to go? Go. Thank you. John chapter 11, here's what we read. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, what we know about this family was that these were very, very close friends of Jesus. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they were siblings, they lived together, but Jesus spent a lot of time with them. He had dinner in their home. They appear in the Gospels every once in a while. These were close friends of Jesus. In fact, there's some evidence that they probably even supported Jesus financially. They they were close friends. And verse 3 says, the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Now, if you're reading from another version, it it may say, Lord, the one you love is very sick. It's interesting here that Mary and Martha don't send a message to Jesus saying Lazarus is sick. They're drawing attention to Jesus that this is somebody that he has a very, very close personal relationship with. And, and they assumed that because the message was coming from Mary and Martha, that Jesus would know exactly who it was. But the words of the message itself were significant. Jesus, this is somebody that you love. And they knew that Jesus had the power to heal by just saying the word. They knew that. But we read on. It says, when Jesus heard about Lazarus being sick, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God. Would you say those words out loud? The glory of God. It happened for the glory of God. Now, this is where Jesus creates a new category in our theology, all right? And the category is this. Sickness and disease can happen for the glory of God. Now that might be something that's just completely foreign to you, that something bad can happen to somebody and it happens for the glory of God. I would prefer to think that God would be glorified if somehow I had this miraculous skill. Uh, I love to golf, all right? And, And somehow I was able to have a hole in one on the 18th hole of the Masters tournament. And 
and, and the reporters would gather around me and say, Russ, how did you do the hole-in-one on the last hole of the Masters tournament? And I would say, I just want to give all the glory to Jesus. Okay? <laughs> you know, I just prefer that, right? And, or, or you might prefer this kind of glory. You know, every once in a while you buy a lottery ticket, you're not addicted to it, but just every once in a while, and uh, all of a sudden... You win $100 million, and so you tithe on the $100 million, and Connect Church gets $10 million, and I come to you and I say, how did that happen? And you say, I just want to give all the glory to Jesus, all right? And, and isn't that, you know, that, that's, that's how we like to glorify God. Anything that good happens to us is because of Jesus, right? But there's a whole new category here. The program is this, something really bad happens. And God says, I'm going to allow this to happen, and I'm going to leverage it for my glory. This is tough. Jesus goes on to say, the Son of God, Jesus, will receive glory from this. And it says that although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now you have to understand, this wasn't okay with Mary and Martha, or even Lazarus, I suppose. (laughs) This was a special family. There was a special relationship, and they expected Jesus to come. And Jesus did exactly what you would not expect him to do. Now, this is one of those stories, like the one I shared with you last week, that makes me convinced that the Bible is true, because everything about this story is wrong. Everything about this, this story kind of makes me a little mad, really, you know, when, when you read it. Jesus didn't go to heal the man that he loved. For two days, Jesus did nothing. And you and I have felt that in our lives, haven't we? Something's happened, we've prayed, we've cried out to God, God, don't let this happen, don't let this person die, heal this disease, change the situation, God, I can't handle it. And it's like we throw that prayer out there, and we listen, and we wait, and it's just crickets chirping, chirp, 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 right? You know what I'm talking about. It's happened to all of us. Verse 7 says, finally, and I can imagine Mary is standing at the door for two days. She's waiting for Jesus. There's no cell phones. There's no texting. There's no emailing. You know, she's just sending a message. She's waiting for Jesus to show up. She's waiting at the door. People are saying, where's Jesus? Jesus is so special to you. Where is he? Finally, Jesus says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, Judea is close to the city where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. That city is called Bethany. Judea was was close. This had not been a happy place for Jesus and his disciples. There had been great persecution. There had been threats on their lives. And so when Jesus said, we're going back there, the disciples are all of a sudden right away throwing up red flags. Uh, Verse 8 says, the disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, Only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going to go there again? 
And you know, they're just like us. We do this, right? When Jesus gives us a direction or Jesus points us in a certain direction or we feel like life is taking us away, we, we love to throw up red flags to Jesus, you know? Uh, we, we just remind him of what's happened in the past because we can't quite see the wisdom of where he's taking us in the future, right? And, and this is how the disciples are. They're just like us. They're asking, you're going back there? You know, I'm, I'm comfortable here. Um, hey, Jesus, do you remember that centurion dude? He came and you didn't have to go. You just said the word and his servant was healed. Let's do that again. Let's, let's do that distance healing thing. That was really cool. And, and let's just sit in a circle and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. And, and Jesus, you just do your thing. It's the distance thing. And then we won't be stoned. And, oh, and you won't be stoned either. And, you know, and they're just, they, they don't want to go. And in verse 11, Jesus says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. And when Jesus said Lazarus had fallen asleep, he was using a common euphemism of the day. That was a euphemism for dying. But verse 12 says, the disciples uh, didn't understand it. Lord, if he's sleeping, they said, he will soon get better. Again, we don't really need to go if he's just asleep, right? They thought that Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I can imagine the disciples, Jesus, you, you know this? First of all, how do you know this? You know, because it's kind of mind-blowing that Jesus just knows what's going on. But secondly, if you knew that he was so sick that he might die, why didn't we go sooner? I mean, we, I don't really want to go there, but you could have said that distance thing, you know. And, and they're just wondering what the heck is going on here. But Jesus says this very strange statement Jesus makes. He says, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. Whoa. Our sakes? What about Lazarus' sake? What about Mary and Martha's sake? They had to watch their brother die. What's up with that? But Jesus is saying, listen, I have something so big for you to learn. Peter, James, John, all the rest of you. I have something so big for you to learn that I'm willing for somebody I love to die and for those two women to have their hearts broken because it's for your growth in faith that I'm doing this. He goes on to say this, for now you will really what? Believe. You see, this was all about faith for Jesus. And over these last five weeks that I've been teaching, it's been amazing how often Jesus comes back to this same issue again and again and again. It's about your faith. It's about you believing. It's about you trusting, having absolute confidence in who Jesus is. Now you will really believe. And he says, come on now, let's go see him. And again, the disciples are probably wondering, Jesus, you're telling me that believing is more important than healing? Believing is more important than suffering and death? Just so we could have bigger faith? Jesus, you set this whole thing up just so we could have bigger faith? Are you even kidding me? 
it's really hard to believe that God would do that. And some of you, even in this room today, some of you have said that the thing that you dislike most about Christianity is the the presence of pain and suffering and evil in the world. And, And I realize that that's a stumbling block for some people. But I want to say this to you. If that's where you're at, listen, you don't really believe in the God of the Bible if that's a stopping point for you. Because in this instance, in this story, Jesus reveals that he set this whole thing up so that these people watching would develop big, audacious, bold faith. It's what God does in our lives as Christians. And then this next verse, verse 16, uh, I love it when, when the gospel writers bring a little comic b- relief, you know. <laughs> Thomas is like the Eeyore of the disciples, you know, and he's, he, he didn't believe Jesus was resurrected, wanted to stick his finger in the holes, you, you, know, you know, Thomas. And, and he says, uh, let's go to and die with Jesus. <laughs> and so the disciples go, Jesus goes, And in verse 20, we read this. When Martha got word that Jesus was finally coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, and and now listen to this emotion here. Martha said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, this was all your fault. Jesus, I heard that you just spoke a word and healed a Roman centurion's servant. Really, Jesus? A Roman centurion? Who was Lazarus to you, Jesus? Jesus, I stood here waiting for you to come and all the people kept saying, where's Jesus? Jesus, I was embarrassed. Jesus, I had to watch him die. You weren't here. And then she said something that to me is extraordinary. Verse 22. She says, but even now, I know, I believe, I trust, that God will give you whatever you ask. And then Jesus said this to her. Your brother will rise again. And then I think in that moment, Martha reached into her theology box, and she said what all of us say when we're at funerals and when we're comforting our loved ones over the death of someone. She, she said, yes, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Because that's what we, that's what we say at funerals, Right? We say, well, he's with grandma now, and they're probably sitting around having a cup of coffee. And Lazarus is probably running around getting autographs from Moses and Noah and Adam. And we'll all rise from the dead someday. These are the words we say, but in that moment, you know, they're, they're kind of empty. They don't help. But the subtext here that, that Martha's saying to Jesus is, Jesus, you could have done this already, really. 
But now look at this next statement of Jesus. And if you think that Jesus was just a good teacher, I want you to know this. Good teachers don't make statements like this. Verse 25. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Incredible. He's saying, Martha, you're right that God would give me whatever I ask. But it's bigger than that. You're right that I'm a teacher who's come from God, but it's bigger than that. You're right that I'm a miracle worker and I could have saved your brother, but listen, it's bigger than that. It's so big and it's so important and it's so germane to what I'm doing and what I'm all about. It's bigger than all of these things. Listen, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And listen, a good teacher doesn't make a statement like that without backing it up. At that moment, Jesus stepped across the good teacher category and, and obligated himself to back it up with something. And, and Jesus was saying, I'm going to say something here I haven't said before, and then you're going to see something absolutely extraordinary. He goes on to say, anyone who believes in me or anyone who trusts in me, there's that faith word again, will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? You see, Jesus is speaking right to her, and he's saying, listen, this is all about your faith, and it's about all the lengths that Jesus will go to to grow faith in her. And one of the things that I want us all to know this morning is this. The preeminent way to honor God is to believe in him like Martha did, even when you have very little to base your faith upon. Martha said this, yes, Lord. Then I think she took a deep breath because these words wouldn't come easily. She said, I have always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. And I think with tears in her eyes, she looked at Jesus and said, I believe that even though you let my brother die, I believe. I believe even though you didn't come, Jesus. I believe even when you didn't answer my prayer. I believe even though all those people around me ridiculed me and asked me, where's Jesus? I thought you would come, but I believe. Jesus, I have nothing right now to go on, but I still believe. And then in verse 34, Jesus asks, where have you put him? And they told him, Lord, come and see. And then we read the shortest verse in the Bible and maybe the most emotional. Jesus wept. And the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. And I love this. Because although Jesus knew who he was and although he knew what he was going to do, he didn't rush into doing a miracle. Jesus pauses and takes a moment to feel the pain of everyone around him. He feels the pain of losing a brother. He understands the pain, friends, whenever 
we, we, we put someone we love in the ground. Jesus gets it. He understands your pain. And Jesus mourns with you. Do you know it? Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested at that moment. Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. I love how the King James Version puts it. If you, if you read the King James, she says, Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> he's been in that tomb four days. And Jesus... We didn't just bury him. You didn't just miss it. You really missed it, Jesus. And in verse 40, Jesus says, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? And so they rolled the stone away. And I can just imagine the drama. In my mind, all of a sudden, we go into a Steven Spielberg moment with the violin swelling, you know. And, and, I mean, this is the climax of the story. The stone rolls away, right? And then Jesus prays a very strange prayer. It says that Jesus looked up to heaven and he said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so they will believe you sent me. Again, drawing attention to the fact that this wasn't about Lazarus. It was about all the people around that he was doing something on purpose about. So he's saying, so is everyone hearing this? Is everyone aware that you and I, God, have this special connection? Is is it okay to proceed? Because I want to make sure everybody's on board here. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the Bible says, and Mary and Martha were witnesses to, and John, who wrote this book, writes it down. All the gospel writers affirm, and all the people who were there witnessed this next verse. It says, and the dead man came out. Ta-da. And if there was ever any doubt that Jesus was and is the resurrection and the life, all the loopholes in everyone's theology were closed in that moment. She's really mad. Poor baby. I'm not sure what she's saying, but she's upset. Verse 45 says this. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus. Faith, when they saw that happen. And listen, what I want you to see here is that Jesus didn't just leverage a painful situation when he saw it happen. Jesus created the painful situation in order to show the connection between these pivotal circumstances in our lives and the development and growth of our faith. 
And I want you to know today, friends, that God is so honored by your trust, your belief, your faith in him, that he will leverage anything in your life to grow your faith. And I'm not sure that we can fully comprehend this because the reality is that sometimes in our lives, the circumstances that come to us, whatever it is, how painful it is, sometimes those circumstances turn people away from God. Sometimes circumstances turn people to God. And and the question is, what's the difference between people who lean into God and people who lean away from God because of difficult circumstances in our life? I think what the difference is is the people that we surround ourselves with. Because when we surround ourselves with people who have strong faith, what happens is they come around us and and they frame the question differently. Instead of asking the question, why is God absent? Why isn't God acting? People of faith and people who have been through these things before will ask the question, what is God building in you? That's the right question. And listen, we all need people to come around us and help us frame the question differently, to give us a context for the for the pain, because if we're separated from the wisdom of Christian community, uh, the truth of this story or the testimonies we hear, our faith is in peril if we, if we separate ourselves from the community of faith. And listen, I'm not trying to make excuses for God. The reality is tragedy has always been with us. And at least in this one case of Lazarus, we know that there's a connection between tragedy and faith. So don't let your disappointment drive you from God. Philip Yancey said this, there's only one thing worse than disappointment with God. It's disappointment without God. A lot of wisdom there. You know what? There's gonna be times when you're disappointed with God and, and you can be disappointed with God within the context of which you trust him anyway. That's what I love about Martha. Listen, here's something that's difficult for us all to know. But we need to remember, pain and suffering are not the exception to the rule. You may have come to Christ sometime recently And maybe you thought that when you started trusting Jesus, everything would go smoothly and easily. You'd have plenty of money. You'd have good health all the time. Nobody would ever die until the rapture happened, okay? And and if that's what you were told, I want to apologize because that's just not real. It's it's not the exception. They're, They're a part of every person's story. But this is a part of the story that Jesus experienced so he could demonstrate the importance of faith in your life. So when you feel like God is doing something to you, your faith might be in jeopardy. But when you become aware that God is doing something in you so that he can go on and do something through you, you will be one of those people who emerges with incredible faith saying about this pivotal circumstance, I still believe. So let me give you one next step before we wrap this up today. If you're in the middle of a difficult circumstance and, uh, and you're feeling a lot of pain, you're doubting God, whatever it may be, it's just tough right now. 
and you're praying to God, God, take away this disease. God, don't let my loved one die. Whatever it is that you're praying and crying out to God, would you add one prayer to your, to your prayer list? And it's this, God, I need to see you in this. Would you add that prayer to your request for God to change your situation? Would you just begin praying, God, I need, I need to see you. I, I need to just know you're here. That's why that song that we sang just at the end of our worship time was so significant to me. Draw me close to you. Help me know that you're here. You can't pray a more powerful prayer than that. Because it can help reframe what God is doing in your life. Your suffering and your pain, friends, aren't exceptions, but they are important parts of the story. And the unfortunate part about pain in this life is we don't get to sign up. God chooses what comes to you and what comes to me. But God lets it happen. Sometimes he even causes it to happen because he really, really cares about your faith. And that's the bottom line. Would you put your things aside and stand with me? And I want us to pray together this morning. Lord Jesus Christ, today I am just so deeply aware that you are opening our eyes and our ears, you're opening our minds to the fact that you have a different agenda in our lives than what we previously thought. Some of us have just been angry, God, because you let someone die. We've been angry, Lord, because we've been struggling with this disease. We've been angry, Lord, because that relationship deteriorated. And God, we're filled with so much pain. But I want to pray, Lord, for every person in this room and specifically for people that are suffering right now, Lord, will you help us to see you in this? And God, in these next few moments, will you just help our faith to begin to grow, even if it's just that that little sprout pushing its head up out of the dirt, Lord, just start the growth in us and help us to see you in this. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.